how about when they, Ian, how about when they ask you, what do you do? Yeah. And then they say, what do you do? <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing, the F is for, well, you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of Rockstar CMO, your regular hit of marketing street knowledge. And this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat to our community of marketing writers and CMOs that make that happen. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com and at Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn and Twitter. This episode is recorded on Saturday, the 26th of December, or Boxing Day as we call it in the UK, the day after Christmas where we've been stuffed with food, are slightly hungover, and it's time for leftovers family, in my case, a little sport on tea. And whatever is your tradition, I hope you've enjoyed the holiday and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. On the set list this week, we have a headline act, Ted Rubin, our resident straight-talking CMO, who's been with us since the first issue, and I lure my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, away from his family for a Boxing Day trip to the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Right, let's get started, shall we? So where do I start my guest this week? Ted Rubin is a leading social marketing strategist, international keynote speaker, CMO of Photify, author, connector, provocateur. In March 2009, he started using and evangelizing the term return on relationship, hashtag R on R. Many people in the social media world know Ted for his enthusiastic, energetic, and undeniably personal connection to people and his no let up hashtag and approach to life. Ted was Chief Social Marketing Officer, a new title he created in 2011, of Collective Bias and Principal Shareholder until they were acquired by Inmar in 2016. He published his first book, Return on Relationship, in January 2013. And since then, he's published How to Look People in the Eye Digitally and The Age of Influence, Selling to the Digitally Connected Customer. And Ted is currently writing his latest book, along with his business partner and retail thought leader, John Andrews, titled Retail Relevancy. Learn more about Ted at tedrubin.com, at tedrubin on Twitter, and you can find him on LinkedIn slash tedrubin. I will, of course, include all those links in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Ted Rubin, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, mate? Um, I'm really excited to be here, Ian, because I have to say, and I know you think I'm just saying this because I'm on I'm on this uh, podcast with you, but you're like one of my f- most favorite people in the world. Um, <laughs> one, one of my biggest disappointments um, in the last couple of years is that we, that, I mean, I'm really happy that we've gotten to do what we've done together remotely, yeah. you know, with Rockstar CMO. I, I'm just disappointed that I don't get to see you. And like, I, yeah. I was hoping to be involved in a few more events with you, some other things yeah. going on, because, you know, when we got together, in Germany 
Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that, was, no, that was a really special time and I, and I really appreciate yeah. it. And, you know, I, I appreciate the time you gave me. I mean, you had a lot of people you had to deal with, but uh, it was yeah. great. And I love that we get to have these conversations every once in a while. Yeah, no, that was fun. That was fun in Munich and there was a lot going on. You're quite right, but you did a great job. And um, I, reckon, I recommend you as that energetic speaker. If, if we ever get back to events again, I think that's, that's where we are. So um, I want to talk a little bit about your career and, you know, a lot of people know quite Quite a lot about you you're all over the place right but um you know to inspire future marketers and you've had this fascinating career in sales and marketing including working with one of the inspirations of my marketing career seth godin when you were at yo-yo dine what you you've been in sales and in marketing what inspired you to choose marketing well it was more of an evolution than uh, yeah. an inspiration um yeah. but i will say that a big part of the inspiration was was seth so mm-hmm. you know i was in sales for most of my career um, you know i like to say that I, I mean it's not just i like to say anybody who really knows about business is that sales and marketing go hand in hand mm-hmm. unfortunately unfortunately very often they don't go hand in hand. Yeah. So, you know, so people are, you know, ignoring things they should be paying attention to. They're not talking to the salespeople. They're not doing those kind of things. But for me, I was in sales. I built sales teams. And in 1997, I discovered the internet and I said, wow, this is, you know, this is a place I'd like to be. And I was looking at all these new companies starting and I happened to read an article that was an interview of Seth Godin. Uh-huh. And, and, at the end of this really fascinating piece where Seth was kind of talking about his first thoughts about permission and idea viruses, he had not written either of the books yet. Wow. Um, you know, they said they, the, the interviewer said the same thing I was thinking, which mm-hmm. was, wow, this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, do you guys have any job openings? And mm-hmm. he said, um, we don't have any specific job openings, but the way I build my business is I always look for smart people. Mm-hmm. He goes, so I, I, I'll hire anybody I think is smart and that can add to the mix. Yeah. He said, and also I'm looking for people that can sell something they've never sold before because no one's wow. really ever sold this before. And um, I immediately wrote him a letter, actually typed out a letter. I still, <laughs> I, I still didn't have like, you know, Microsoft Word or any of this stuff and, or, or know how to use it. And, yeah. and I said, Number one, I'm really smart. You know, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was a salesperson. I could lie. And, <laughs> and I said I can sell anything. Yeah. And that this is really something I want to do. And I'm looking for this great opportunity. And I was very fortunate. I ended up getting uh, called by him. And uh-huh. I went up and met him. And I went to work for Yo-Yo Dine. So, yeah. you know, I went in there and I was building sales teams. But this was a marketing organization. Yeah. And this was this was a, um, I mean, Seth Godin. He's got the most active and most read marketing yeah. blog, blog in the world. Yeah. And I had moved up to New York. And my family was still in in. South Florida, my girls were very young and I was staying with my in-laws in New York. And like, yeah. if I haven't said this to you before, don't ever live with your freaking in-laws. <laughs> um, es- especially if they're like the Costanzas and all they do is from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to bed is yell at each other. That <laughs> You know, I like to say that everything happens for a reason. And this reason was it yeah. got me out of the house early and I got to Yo-Yo Nine every morning at like 6.30 a.m. And the only other mm-hmm. person there was Seth. Yeah, yeah. And, and he was thinking uh, in this in this big format of this new uh, with this new platforms of yeah. what we could do with them and i was the only guy there for him to hold forth to and i yeah. although i tend to hold forth i knew i was 
in the presence of greatness and I yeah. shut up and I listened. Yeah. And truth be told, Seth engaged. I mean, we talked. Yeah. He'd say, so what do you think? Yeah. And it, although I was intimidated at times, I overcame that. Yeah. And we, had, we had a lot of great conversations. And yeah. I just, he taught, like I brought what he didn't have there, which was a yeah. straight, hardworking sales guy who didn't give up until he got the sale, who made mm-hmm. as many calls as he could. And what mm-hmm. he taught me was, it was to think of it from a marketing perspective yeah. and, yeah. and how is this going to really solve a problem for the person yeah. that we're selling to? And remember yeah. we're se- we're selling, we were selling advertising, which is marketing. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. You really need to understand it. And like I said, I was fortunate to be there. We built up this great uh, sales program. We ran, ran the company sales up. Yo- 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 Yahoo bought us. Yeah. In the- 98, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, and my, uh, my option set me up for the long term. I made about $10,000. So that was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I continued on the sales side of things, but yeah. I started adding a real marketing bent to it. And, yeah. you know, my first real opportunity to jump full on into the marketing space came with Elf Cosmetics in, uh-huh. in 2008. They were looking for a CMO they were looking for someone. They, they had they had built their business strictly on word of mouth. They were not in social media. They had about five million in sales over their first few years in business, and they wanted someone that was to be their CMO. But they wanted them to have a very strong sales background. Right. And you know, again, I was fortunate. Um, um, yeah. A very good relationship introduced me in, um, and I jumped in there. My my original title was vice president of sales and marketing, and. Mm-hmm. Within 60 days, because I was revamping everything they were doing, um, they yeah. gave me the title of CMO. Yeah. And th- and from there on, it was it was marketing all the way. I'm like, you know, yeah. forget those damn sales calls. I'm tired <laughs> of that shit. And, and what, the beauty of it is I was able to move myself into really where mm-hmm. my, my comfortable space was, which mm-hmm. was relationship selling. Yeah and, yeah, and I think relationship selling and marketing really go hand in hand because you're not on that. How many calls a day did you make? How many qualified customers did you get? How many people did you close? It's yeah. more about building a relationship, which marketing does over the yeah. course of the long term. Yeah, well, that leads me neatly to the topic I wanted to ask about next, which is back in 2014, you wrote a book, Return on Relationship, and you always talk about return on relationship and R on R on on social media. What does that mean to you? That return on relationship. Well, okay. So there's kind of two questions here. Uh, yeah. First of all, let me just give you a, a, a simple definition of you yeah. know, return relationship, which you know we refer to as ROR. I use mm-hmm. the hashtag R on R. And simply put, it's the value that's accrued by a person or a brand due to yeah. nurturing a relationship. You know, yeah. ROI is simple dollars and cents. ROR is the value. I like to say both perceived and real. And what I mean by perceived is, you know, how we feel towards somebody that Mm -hmm. all of this accrues over time through connection, trust, loyalty, recommendations, and sharing. And for me, um, it needs to be used to define and educate companies, brands, and people because people need a lot of education in this about the importance of creating authentic connection, interaction, and engagement. Right, right. So it's that authentic connection. And then I'll go on to the fact that you, you, I mean, you were early in social media. And one of the things I like about when you talk about social media, you talk about it in, in terms of that relationship and looking people in the eye digitally. Tell us about what turned you on about social media in the early days and, and this term, looking people in the eye digitally. Well, 
First of all, I love the ability to connect with people at scale. Mm-hmm. It was something really new to me. I've, I've always been, I always thought of myself as a networker yeah. um, and a connector. And I, I will tell you now that there was not one group, school, job that I've had throughout my life where I haven't left that place with at least one and you often more than one mm-hmm. new long lasting relationship that has stayed with me through my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this takes work, especially as you yeah. expand out your base of people. How do you communicate with so many people and maintain a relationship? And what I loved about social was two sides. Number one is I could continue to more actively connect uh, quicker and easier with the people I already knew and had relationships with. Yeah. And I could develop and grow relationships with so many other people. And, yeah. you know, it, he, here's the way I look at um, looking people in the eye digitally. You know, the last few decades of marketing tactics, personally and business-wise, have made us lazy communicators. You know, right. most often we don't even pay attention to who we're talking to other than the via the data we collect. And, yeah. even, and even that, well, maybe. I mean, how many... Yeah collect mountains of data and never even really use it. And in order to fix this and really start to benefit from social relationships, both individual and as companies, I I believe we need to start doing what I call looking people in the eye digitally. And just to help you with what that really means to me, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when you, when you were young, probably like me, there was somebody in your life, mother, father, um, uh, mentor, uh, mm-hmm. your coach who said, Ian, you know, you make sure to look at people when you talk to them. Yeah, make, yeah. Make sure to show you're paying attention. Make sure to listen to what they're saying so you're not just talking at them. I remember my mother talking to me about when I was going on my first date, and she's like, make sure you're looking at her. Don't be looking at anybody <laughs> else in the room. Yeah. And it was great advice because, you know, what it basically yeah. said was, you know, if you, she's going to know if you're not paying attention to her. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in, the, in the old days, um, you, you, you had to – first of all, it was a lot harder work. You had yeah. to be sitting there right away. You had to be looking at somebody. You had to be listening yeah. to them. But, you know, also uh, – and I'll tell you a story that leads into this. I graduated college in 1980, and my first job was a sales job. And my dad was in sales, and he calls me up into the end of the first week, and he, know, he knew that one of my the goals I had from the company was to get my first appointment. Yeah. And he calls me up and says, you know, did you, did you get an appointment? I said, yeah. He says, when is it? I said, it's Thursday. He said, what time? I said, okay. 10 o'clock. He goes, what time are you going to get there? I said, I don't know, about 5 or 10 to 10. He goes, no. Yeah. Get there at nine o'clock. Get there an hour early. Walk around the neighborhood. See what mm-hmm. restaurants are there. Get a feel for the place. Get into the building. Look at the board. See what other mm-hmm. companies in their building. Get up to that office early and see mm-hmm. if the person you're seeing, if his or her secretary or assistant, will allow you to get into the office where you can see what photos are on the walls. Or yeah, the yeah. Is this person a father, a grandfather, a, a yeah. grandmother? Do they ski? Do they golf? Find points of emotional connect yeah yeah and you know it was very hard to do then i mean like literally the only things you could do was either get there early um there were these source books that had you know lists of companies and their employees and maybe there'd be a word or two yeah now there's so much information available yeah that to me when i see someone going to a meeting and i have no idea about the company or my, I mean, one of yeah. the questions I hate the most is when I get, you know, I'm, I do a lot of consulting for companies and I'll yeah. go into some sales meetings and the guy who's running the meeting for your company or the lead salesperson will look at the guy across the table and go, Oh, so how long have you been here? Seriously? Oh, wow. Like, how could you ask that question? It's yeah, right yeah. in LinkedIn. I mean, what you yeah. should be saying, what you should be saying is, 
um, wow, I noticed you've been here for 12 years. Is I guess there's so much you could tell us about this company. Yeah. Or, or I noticed you just joined a couple of months ago. Is there anything we can do to support you? Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways to make that valuable. Absolutely. For me, when I talk about looking people in the eye digitally, I mean going to their social pages, listening to their conversations, mm-hmm. getting some of the information you need. You know, there's this new invention, and it's really cool. It's called Google. I've <laughs> um, heard of it. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, you can it's 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 like having the the world uh, dictionary, I mean the world encyc- world book encyclopedia at mm-hmm. your fingertips and then they have these new things that are really cool too. They're called iPhones. And yeah. you you can actually pull up this stuff right on your phone as you, like on your way to the meeting. You can yeah. even be lazy and not do your work in advance and still be prepared <laughs> when you get there. So, you know, again, I think that you know, I've been saying this for years and and in some ways it's great. I can take last year's quote and turn it into this year's quote. But in some yeah. ways it's bad because it means people aren't listening. But I say that 2021 needs to be the year of looking yeah. people in the eye digitally already. Yeah, I mean, yeah, come yeah. on. I, well, I mean, it's, it's been. It, I mean, um, it's a lot of talk right now about virtual selling. I mean, well, I mean, there's so much in what you just said. I love the. I love the experience you always share that your father taught you and all that kind of stuff when you when you write for us. The other thing is, is I, I was an industry analyst for a while. And it used to frustrate me when because you can see when people looked at your LinkedIn profile. If I if I go into a meeting and somebody hasn't looked at my LinkedIn profile, they're not really paying attention to me, right? And you then know, how about when they Ian? How about when they ask you what do you do? Yeah. And then they say, what do you do? Oh, by the way, there's a, there, I just want to make sure the audience understands the unfair advantage here. So mm-hmm. I've been working with Ian now for years and I've been writing for Rockstar CMO for years. So Ian knows a lot of my stories. So when you hear him kind of laughing in the background or that's because he knows what I'm going to say as I'm starting to say it. So I just want to make sure we're clear on that. So everyone doesn't think I do know, that it's something that it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the other, um, uh, well, also, like as we've moved this year to virtual selling because of the pandemic, it's really relevant what you're saying, isn't it? I mean, it's even like now we're talking to each other. I, I don't share the video, but we're talking to each other on video. And you have to remember to look into the camera and not look at the person who's on the screen, right? Right. Looking, looking at each other in the eye digitally has so much impact right now, even if it is just on a Zoom call, but also the way that we use social, because that's all we've got at the moment. No, there's no doubt. I mean, it's yeah. it, it, it's it, it's a way to keep up. I mean, first of all, this pandemic has accelerated the use of so mm. many tools that were available yeah. before that some people either didn't think were worthwhile yep. or felt they couldn't do it. I mean, the, all the companies uh, 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 that are realizing that people can work remotely and not only be effective, but very often be more effective than they were when they were in the office. A lot of companies are finding much more success. Mm-hmm. With their with their with their employees who are mm-hmm. working remotely because the whole commuting thing is out of the picture because yeah. a lot of the time get that that gets people a lot of companies believe that people waste time at home but at work they were working but yeah. I really believe it's it's kind of the other way around when yeah. people were at work they were looking always looking for things to do that was sidetracking them they would also be mm-hmm. seeing people they'd stop they'd talk they you know now sure you have a conversation for a few minutes at the end of a meeting but then it's like back into something else yeah. And it also allows people to not have to end their day at a certain point because they need to get to their kids or they need to get to the the event or they want to see something that's happening. 
because now they can do it throughout their day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it works with flow, doesn't it? If you're in flow and you're getting something done and it hits five o'clock, you don't need to stop and then try and resume at nine. You just work for another half an hour, hour, whatever it is, and you get the thing done. I mean, it's it just works the way that it works better for the way that we work, if that makes sense as, as uh-huh. knowledge workers. A hundred percent. I mean, clearly there are professions where people have to be there. And I'm not saying that people engaging with each other face to face doesn't have value. It has huge value, but there's a lot of ways to integrate that in different ways that give people a lot more flexibility than than they had before. And now all these companies that thought, oh my God, we couldn't use these tools. You know, they're realizing that you can accomplish just as much and actually sometimes even more than you were before. Yeah. And I mean, I did want to talk a little bit about your own work. So it must have, I mean, it's obviously obviously impacted you as a speaker, but are you finding that consulting via Zoom and stuff is working well for you? Well, you know, my life had really kind of changed right before uh, this was going on. So what really hurt me was that um, I was throwing myself more into Photify, which is a startup that, as you know, yeah. I, I'm a partner in. Um, and I, I don't take any, any pay from there. Um, I'm, I'm the only one that doesn't take pay from there. <laughs> um, we might have to change that at some point. But also the company didn't have it. Um, but I was supporting myself through speaking. And, um, you know, last year, obviously there's nothing like I had, I had 20 speaking gigs lined up, which made me a very serious income. Um, and it, and it also had me out and about and in front of audiences. Um, I, I made a personal decision that I did not want to segue my business into remote speaking, uh, for two reasons. Personally, look, actually three reasons. Number one is I'm fortunate that I don't necessarily need the money. Don't get me wrong. I very much like to have it. It it, 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 it was part of my plan. I don't like to spend what I have. Um, uh, It's just not part of my mentality. I was brought up by a depression era dad who taught me a very different, you know, a a very firm respect for money and for earning. Um, But I I didn't have to, number one. Number two is I just don't get the charge out of speaking remotely that I do. Um, yeah. being on a stage mostly yeah. because I get charged up while I'm doing it I'm yeah, actually yeah yeah I've seen I'm, you yeah I'm, I'm almost as tired when I'm done but yeah. then I don't get what always came after it integrate and engaging with the people getting out yeah. into the audience yeah, you know yeah. so that was number one and number two is personally and you might disagree and please don't just say it because you want to be nice I don't think I'm as effective from a distance so right. I, like I think what now I do tend to I'm told at least that I that I, a lot of my passion comes through even remotely I'm getting um, it <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> but but you know what it is I don't feel it the same right, way right. and yeah. I get juiced up by the audience I yeah. look to an audience I, I I have never done a straight through presentation that I didn't alter part yeah. way through because I was trying to get a reaction or a change or looking at the yeah. audience and seeing yeah. what was working for them and what wasn't you don't get that remote yeah yeah I, I agree I agree and I, throughout my career I've always hated giving webinars I always love being on stage. It, right. And it could be the same material, but being in front of an audience is there's, there's nothing you, like you it. know, and I had a lot of people, and you know, plus you make a lot less, but also you don't have to <laughs> you, you know, you can't charge, or at least I can't. Yeah, I'm, yeah, sure, yeah. I'm sure there are people that can, but I can't charge nearly what I did I could charge for in person. But then again, I, I don't have to travel. I mean, financially, it certainly works. It's just I don't know. I didn't find the draw. Now I, I'm not mm-hmm. swearing to you that might not change this year, you know, mm-hmm. depending on circumstances or, or what's happening. And the same thing kind of went from my consent 
consulting. I'm I'm not really a distance consultant. Like the, mm-hmm. a lot of the work I've always done has been with companies, has been yeah. you know going to meetings with them, and I, I'm I'm not. I kind of feel the pulse of what's happening in that. And yeah. I just, I just haven't chased that business during this pandemic. And yeah. once again, I committed to putting a lot more time into Photify. Yeah. So, so I'm doing that. And yeah. a, a big part of putting time into Photify is putting time into myself because it's yeah. my brand that yeah. drives my ability to drive Photify. So yeah. I've, been, I've been very busy, you mm-hmm. know, with content creation and connecting and engaging with people and making myself available for these kinds of conversations. Yeah. I've been doing what I have. I haven't been doing a lot of speaking. I, I did a few gigs this year. What I've been doing a lot of is the free stuff, you know, being on yeah. people's podcasts, being on people's uh, Zooms. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing interviews. I love that for two reasons. I like supporting people and their, yeah. and their efforts to build their brands and to build their yeah. podcasts and things like that. Yeah. And I get out of it is that when I'm talking like this freely, I get a lot of new content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we're having a conversation and you ask me a yeah. question and I think of something new or different yeah. from a different perspective. Yeah. And, and I enjoy that. So, you know, for me in that way, it, it was a very different year. Like at first yeah. it was like, wow, this is great. I don't have to travel every week. Like, holy cow, like, I don't have to worry about not getting to the beach today because I'm going to be gone tomorrow. I, I can just say I'm not going today. I'll go tomorrow. Or yeah, I yeah. get my kayak and I'm very into like my, I, I feel like I've got to use my bike and I've got to use my kayak and I've got to get on my boat. And, and I, yeah. I, I this and now I don't have that. And it was great for a few months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, now, of course, like everybody else, I'm stir crazy. I'm being yeah. very careful. I, I, I do not want to get this virus. Yeah. I am not poo-pooing it the way many others are. And not just myself. I don't want to put others at risk. Yeah, so yeah. I've been home by myself for a long time. And yeah, uh, that's tough. So, yeah. So it's now it's been great in some respects. My my fitness level, I was always attentive to it, but it's way up. Although mm-hmm. with that comes the comes the uh, sore knees and the <laughs> and I, I, I'm getting more injuries along with my working out. I've also been reading and and listening to audio books extensively. Yeah, yeah. and I, I I'm like. I feel like I'm going to come out of this pandemic, first of all, with some great new habits, yeah. which are the which I always read, but now I've gotten into audio books and I'm multitasking. So when I work out or when I'm kayaking or I'm doing other yeah. things, I'm yeah. doing that. Um, and I've also uh, I'm educating myself. I'm learning. I mean, I've 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 done a lot of work on racism and white supremacy and white yeah. fragility, and 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 I'm I'm now trying to educate myself about more about politics and the past and the future. And I just yeah. finished a great book about Saudi Arabia. I'm reading. I'm now currently listening to a great book about JFK. And yeah. it, what amazes me is things that I thought I knew about how much I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I've also been reading, you know, a lot of marketing books and a lot of things about business. So like yeah. there have been a lot of benefits to this, but what I'm trying to do is with little baby steps is little by little build habits that will stay yeah. with me 
afterwards yeah yeah no i love it and you share a lot of that on obviously on social media because you're everywhere mm-hmm. um but the books that you read and stuff like that it's clear the journey that you're going on i think it's great right but we're running out of time so i want to get to our last question and you know all about this we have a regular feature the rockstar cmo swimming pool our portals to hell for all the bullshit and snake oil of this marketing discipline that we love when we went backstage with you two years ago if you remember you were tired of remarketing do you want to stick with that and we'll chuck that in the pool or have you got something else that you that's well, on your mind? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna extend on that. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, as marketers and business leaders, you know, we worry all the time about customer experience and our employees' product, purchase, and service. But we've overlooked the critical part of that customer experience, and it's how our marketing affects our customers and our future customers. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've got data coming out of our ears, you yeah. know, tracking the results of our marketing efforts in terms of dollars and cents is becoming easier and easier. However, all these efforts only measure the upside. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, and it's it's the upside of banging our consumers over the head. You know, I mean, how many more <laughs> clicks, shares, engagements and sales do we get? Yeah. But we yeah. give no no regard is given to the downside numbers. Yeah. What we're not tracking it, it is the point at which our customers turn away from us annoyed, yeah. too yeah. fed up with our bot stalking and algorithm yeah. tweeting. Yeah. I like to call it customer experience with our marketing. And yeah. I, I just think we need to spend as much time finding ways to track the negative effects of our marketing efforts as we do the positive ones. You I, know, love, it, I, I love that. I love that. I, yeah. I've always talked, you know, I've always talked about when people talk about 1% click-through rates and stuff like that, or 0.5%. I worry about the 99.9% of everybody else who got annoyed by that. It's like a Chinese water torture on your brand, isn't it? Drip, drip, drip. And it goes goes further because, again, it doesn't just go to that one person. It's what they say to who they're talking to next. You know, and there's an expression John and I like to use that we say marketing will truly win when humans control the machines instead of the machines controlling the humans. And what's happening now is we're using all these bots and these tools. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they don't have value. Of course they do. But we need to start looking at both sides of the equation. We need to start recognizing that people are not going to hang around for these things. There's too many other options. And when when you've got a company like Amazon, Doing it as well as effectively and without being obtrusive as anybody else, mm-hmm. you, you know. And look, uh, you, you can say, "Well, that's because of the eight hundred pound gorilla," but they weren't the eight hundred pound gorilla when they were just selling books. Yeah, it's they, true. They were, you know, too many of us. And by the way, a lot of this is driven by the by the investors. You know, too yeah. many of us think we have to succeed too quickly. Yeah. And you, you need to make things happen tomorrow. But like, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example, uh, or at least I hope it's going to be a perfect example. <laughs> um, Photify was founded in 2013. In 2013. Mm-hmm. And we're just starting to get our real legs now. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and there's been a, a, a bunch of, a, a bunch of uh, pivots and, mm-hmm. and things we're focused on and we're learning every day. But I think a lot of companies need to start taking a little bit more of the long view and recognizing yeah. that just to bang out an extra sale tomorrow is going to end up hurting your brand equity in the future. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant thing to leave it on, uh, Ted. We both, um, I know you're very busy and uh, thank you very much for your time. I'm delighted that you found some time to come on the Rockstar CMO FM. Uh, I've been, I've been wanting to get you on for a bit. Um, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you very much. Ted. Well, my pleasure. Can I leave you guys with two last thoughts? Absolutely. 
that I think just kind of bring this all together. Uh, first, relationships are like muscle tissue. The more yeah. you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. And to extend on that, just start thinking about how a network certainly gives you reach, but it's a community that gives you power. I love that. Networks connect, communities care, build communities. I love that. And it's exactly what we're trying to do here on Rockstar CMO. So thank you very much. Um, I will include all the links to yourself, to your book, to various things we've discussed throughout this conversation. Thank you, Ted, in the show notes. And I'll, um, I'll speak to you very soon. Thank you very much, Ted. Looking forward to you. Thank you, Ted. Some straight talking right there. A very generous guest, supporter and contributor to Rockstar CMO since we began. So I'm delighted to get him on the podcast. I will, of course, include links to his website, all the socials, including his YouTube channel, in the show notes. And by the way, if you've not heard of the Photify app Ted was referring to, it's a mobile content creation platform for Android, iPad and iPhone. I'll include a link to that in the show notes too, plus an interview I did with the CEO, John Andrews. Right, so it's Boxing Day here at the Rockstar CMO penthouse. It's time to escape the piles of discarded wrapping paper, empty bottles and the fridge stuffed with leftovers and sneak off for a quick cocktail with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. Happy Christmas. What are you drinking? Oh, happy Christmas. And I should say happy Boxing Day for yes, the UK. Yes. Um, and I should say happy holidays. Americans don't know what that is, by the way. They they, they, <laughs> they, they think it's like literally like fighting. Uh, they, they don't understand the nature that it's actually putting boxes on people's. Do you actually go and put boxes on people's doorsteps? No, we don't. We, I, I'm not. Um, I, I'll have to show some cultural um, uh, ignorance here. I'm, I'm not sure where it, where it comes from. But um, by you know, we've opened our presents by now, uh, and uh, and we are, as you may hear in my voice, perhaps uh, recovering from all the food and the drink, uh, and that's really what, what what Boxing Day is all about for us. And eating leftovers, definitely eating leftovers. Indeed. Yeah. Well, this finds me, you know, this finds me as well, fat and happy, you know, um, after a large Christmas dinner. So lovely. And I think, I think, I don't know where the Boxing Day refers to the fact that we've been with our families for for so long (laughs) that actually fights do break out, but I'm sure it's not that. I'll I'll have to look it up and include a link in the show notes to to, what the heck is Boxing Day all about. That's right. That's right. Well, I had, I looked it up. I mean, it is, it is something Uh, around actual boxes. So, ah, yeah. See that? Doorsteps. Uh, It's boxes and doorsteps of some kind. See that? That's why you're such a great guest. You you actually know what you're talking about. I don't know that that necessarily (laughs) illustrates that I know what I'm talking about. Other than the fact that I remember some keywords and hashtags from the actual wikipedia um, uh, sounds, sounds like the job of a content marketer yeah i, I know the hashtags i can do the okay to answer your original question that uh, uh-huh. was so simple um and that i completely botched um mm-hmm. we are drinking tonight something that is it is completely opposite uh christmas um mm. 
because on a you know on a Christmas or a Boxing Day, um, yeah. you usually would think about hot toddies or um, an Irish whiskey or something like that. But we're going to have tonight um, what I'm calling a spicy anejo, um, and this is a lovely, very smoky. Um, this is mm. the key um, anejo tequila. Um, nice. which is you can find, um, you just, you know, do when you do your search for a tequila ask, or even a mezcal, if you're into that level of, of smokiness, um, mm-hmm. and lime lemon. And then here's the key, a good a little hint, um, you know, and you can scratch out a hint and put dash or uh, <laughs> a lot of cayenne pepper. Um, and that makes it spicy and it is a very spicy little drink, um, that, uh, can be refreshing if you want, or quite frankly, uh-huh. warm you up on a on a cold day. So uh, that that sounds that sounds very warming, and um, and I see we're back to the tequila this week. So that's uh, that's good news for the tequila fans out there. So um, I will attempt to make, as I do every week, that very drink from the from the ingredients I find in my desktop bar, and you'll be surprised to learn I do not have tequila. I do have, however, yes. Some Hendrix gin. Um, I'm I'm getting good at it. Why aren't they sponsoring me? I don't know why they're not sponsoring me. But first, <laughs> and I don't I don't think you introduced this into. I mean, it just it just. I don't think you had icicles, did you? Uh, no. no, there was no ice on this one. Here's here's the gin. It's shaken, you know, through ice, of course, but. You know, oh, nice. But it doesn't really matter. I mean, the, you know the. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and then. Um, that was okay. What, what did you mix with it? Um, the the mix was lime, lemon, and then the, of course the uh, the cayenne pepper. Oh, that sounds nice. Um, was it any? Did was it anything like cucumber tonic water? Uh, it, it's not at all like ton, uh, tonic uh, water, but um, certainly <laughs> if that's what you have. That's what you have. Uh, that's what I absolutely have. Um, so I'm going to give this a try. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm worried about the spiciness at this time of the evening, but I'll give it a go. Oh, gosh, that's very good. Might need a bit more tonic, <laughs> but, but that'll um, that'll wake me up. Um, after, here we are on Boxing Day, absolutely. And I was surprised I had some gin left so, <laughs> after the festivities, but here it is. Yes. Yeah, so, um, what? Um, remind me, what do we call this? Uh, we call this a spicy anejo. Mmm, I'm not getting the anejo or the spicy, but it's delicious all the same. I could drink one of these every week, Robert. I really could. Uh, yeah, it sounds like this is uh, becoming a trend for us. <laughs> Just after what was it like twenty-five weeks? It's, it's becoming a trend. <laughs> what um, and uh, where where on this wonderful earth that we can't travel to at the moment would we be drinking these? Well, you know, I mean, my immediate. Um, you know, inclination is to say, since we are, you know, on Christmas, um, Mm. and, uh, and of course, Boxing Day here, uh, Saturday, uh, would be home, you know, Mm. I mean, that's, I mean, you you and I should not be ensconced in a bar somewhere, (laughs) (laughs) but let's assume for the moment that, you know, we've, Mm. we've, we've established that, right. We've established that we're going to be home for the holidays. Um, 
I well, there, there is a tradition here of people going to the pub on Christmas Day, so it's not unheard. Well, that's a very English thing to do. That's a, that's a... <laughs> well, any excuse to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, going to the pub for <laughs> going to the pub, you know, for the English is like it's it's it doesn't matter. It could be the world could yeah. be coming to an end, literally, and it would be like, oh, well, let's go down to the pig and smash or something, you know. There was, there was. I'm sorry, I'm distracting. But um, at the beginning of first lockdown in, in March, there was a video doing the rounds, and it was actually appeared on the BBC. And it was this guy standing outside a London pub, absolutely distraught. He's like, "We're British, but you know they can't close the pubs. That's just they can't." He yeah, just couldn't, exactly. Couldn't shoot this idea that they would close the pubs. That's and right. So yes. Yeah, it is very woven into our very culture. You're quite right, Mr. Rose. Um, so it where... is part of the DNA, right? When they, you know, <laughs> when you crack open the atomic DNA of an Englishman, it's like, ah, there it is. The pig and whistle. And the... <laughs> there's, there's some sawdust from, yeah. a, from an old <laughs> East End pub in there right. somewhere. A pint so... glass. <laughs> so we have uh we're enjoying our time with our families but if we were to sneak out where are we sneaking to we would be going to barcelona uh, yet Ooh. another place on the planet that i have not mm. met yet um that mm. um i really want to go but i thought the flavor of the drink lent itself to spain yes. so i thought yeah we should go i'm a massive fan of spain and i i have um i've also been to barcelona and it, it is a fantastic pick um, a wonderful city, absolutely. And and where do you envision we would? I let this gin is affecting me. Where would you envision we would be drinking these in Barcelona? You know, I don't know in, in mm. Barcelona. I, I've never been there, so I would uh, lean on someone who knew Barcelona very well to to establish a place where we'd be. But I, I don't know where I'm going to get a really good tequila. I mean, I, I would feel the pressure of it if you were coming to Barcelona. I'm like. Where can I get a great tequila? I know where to get. I, you know, you just fall into anywhere and get a great glass of wine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Well, there is. A, I mean, look. I mean, yeah. That's the thing in Barcelona. You will get good wine. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. the two, the two wines that my favorite um, are. You know, and with all apologies to um, to your to your audience in in, in France, um, I love Italian wines and Spanish wines. Those are my yeah. those are my yeah. go tos for for every yeah. kind of wine. Yeah, I, I, I also would join in and apologize to all the other wines when I state that my favorites are absolutely Spanish wines. And I quite like big American wines as well, but that, that's also fairly Philistine if there are any French listeners too. So, um, yes, my tastes are, are of that nature. Um, so uh, I think we found a nice classy spot. I think we're probably, I think for this, um, this is probably the pre-drink before we go and experience the Ramblers or, and start to really get into it in Barcelona. So we're probably in like, I don't know, um, hotel arts or somewhere somewhere quite fancy with you I think Robert what do you think yeah I think that yeah, would be maybe. yeah that would be the place right I mean you know yeah. that you know we're I mean any place where we can sit down and be you know and have a nice mm-hmm. conversation yes and um once uh, once the planning is because uh, obviously this is a pre-dinner drink so we're spending most of our time planning on where this great bottle of wine is and what it is we're going to eat but once we've done with that and we're chatting about marketing, what are we going to be talking about? Well, you know, interestingly, um, on this Christmas Boxing Day <laughs> holiday, <laughs> I drifted into Barcelona in the summer. I'd completely forgotten where I was. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, you know, 
one of the things, and, 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 you know, this may be, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's an odd topic, I think for the, for the, for the day that we should be spending with our families, et cetera, et cetera. But I, you know, it was something that I've been thinking about of late, um, which is the challenges, uh, with teams and expectations sort of review, you know, it, 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 what got me thinking on it was this idea of the review, you know, the employee review and, you know, year end reviews, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, there was a client who was telling me about this, you know, they were looking at their team as a content marketing team that they're reviewing. And he's this writer that they have employed is just continually producing not great work, right. You know, subpar work. And, and yeah. he said to me, I, I don't know what to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause there's not really a, you know, we haven't really established you know, what, what is great work, right. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and in, in content marketing, and, mm-hmm. you know, and one of the things that I asked him was I said, well, have, have you, you know, raised his expectations? In other words, um, you know, have you have you sort of told him what the expectations are of the work that he's producing? Um, and he said, well, no, I'm just trying to get him to like literally to first base, like just trying to get him to to, to try and figure out a place where he can fit in at the most basic level. And that I find is a mistake, you know, the, because there's so much in business where we hear talk about managing expectations and what we're talking about is usually not raising expectations, right? When, whenever we talk about managing expectations, we're almost always talking about lowering <laughs> the expectations. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, to find yeah. a level, to find a bandwidth that we're comfortable yeah. performing within, you know? And we rationalize and we say, okay, that's about communication and, 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 and all of that. Um, and, you know, making sure that we're communicating intentions clearly and that's all fine and everything. But, we should ask ourselves when we're doing these reviews or when we're sort of setting expectations is what, you know, we should ask ourselves if we're going to be clear, are we communicating? Am I communicating my expectation or am I trying to lower theirs? Right. Um, And, you know, so as an example, right. So, you know, you're excited, you're, you're totally excited about some cool new innovative thing that you want the team to do or the potential for the team to do something. And so your expectations are off the charts. But mm. then what you do is you go to the team and you try and put a damper on that, right? You know, you go, well, you know, okay, how do you, yeah, let's, you know, it, we'll under promise and we'll under over deliver, right? We've said that to yeah. ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and so if, if when we say under promise and over deliver what we're what we're really saying and you even see this in marketing copy is right what we say well we're going to try and exceed their expectations right we're going to try and exceed expectations and it's funny to me that's a funny statement to me because if we feel like we need to exceed their expectations well maybe our expectations weren't high enough you know what i mean right you know yeah, yeah. and and so anyway i've i've I come all the way back around to this advice that I gave to the writer. I don't know how valuable it is or not, but I gave to, or the, the team leader who was talking to his writer, in other words. And I said, listen, instead of telling him that you're trying to get him to first base or the most basic expectations, why not expect the home run? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, 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 it doesn't have to be the Nigel Tufnell turn it up to 11, but it needs to be the highest yeah. it can be for the both of you. Um, yeah. And, that's a, I think a good place for us to start as we start thinking about reviews and setting expectations. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and I think um, there is some relevance to it because this is our last show of the year and everybody is thinking about this at the moment, aren't they? The the year-end reviews and stuff. I find that interesting, though, because um, I've I've had this sort of issue in the past where I've had people on my team and it's very hard to manage somebody's expectations of how good they are as a writer and then how to put a... Put a, not a metric is the wrong word, but how do you grade somebody's writing and then how do you then move them up in that way? Uh, I'm interested in how, you know, from from that story, it sounds similar. Like, it's, it's, you know, because writing is such a um, personal thing, isn't it? Well, and yeah. then how do you, make some, you know, and the funny thing is, yeah. is like, you know, do you, do you measure them? So much, so much of what I see these days is measurement based on output, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was, I, I've been having this conversation with this agency who I, who I really like their work and one of their sort of mantras and I've sort of stolen it is, mm-hmm. you know, we should be measuring outcomes, not output. Um, uh, and, <laughs> and it's, it's a great, it's a great line, right? But it's, it, but it's also true, which is, you know, if we can, if there's a way we can start to manage, you know, mm-hmm. ourselves based on, goals that we're setting rather than sort of quantity of output, which is the way we measure so many writers in content marketing these days. Oh, you produced four white papers. Yay. You get your bonus. Right. And, you know, and it, you know, there is a level of artistry for sure Mm. to these things, right. Where it's really hard to judge the quality of it unless you start to get feedback from the audience and, and can look and see, is it good? Right. Um, but the thing is, we never define good, you know, mm. good for the company. What is good for the, you know, what is a good piece of thought leadership mm. for the company? Is mm. it that which really creates action with an audience? Yeah, that's one mm. level of good. Is it that which creates a quantity of leads? That, yeah. Sure, that's good. You know, it, we never really yeah. define those things. And so it becomes very hard to measure what great quality writing is. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm going through that process with a client right now, and um, in terms of um, how you're going to measure the success of content marketing, and and it's um, you know no, don't measure the number of items because you'll get what you measure, and it won't be quality. Okay, shall we measure web hits? No, <laughs> don't measure. Don't just measure against that because then you're going to get what you measure, and you'll get lots of web hits, and you can spend a ton of money on PPC, and your stats will look great. Um, it's got to be something around the relevance of yeah. the content, how it's resonating in the market. And you would think, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But these are much harder metrics to figure out, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's just deciding uh, yeah. in all honesty. You know, it's like there, were, there was a piece I wrote, I can't remember when, a year and a half or two years ago, where I, where I said, what is good content, right? And yeah. it, it much of it depends on the... I not only the eye of the beholder, the consumer of it, yeah. but also the eye yeah. of the creator of it, right? In other words, you ask a movie producer, what's what's yeah. good content? And that yeah. movie producer will say anything that sells tickets. You know, yeah. basically don't yeah. care about whether it was an Academy Award or a BAFTA or yeah. whatever it is. If it puts butts in the seat for money, it's a good content. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, you see that in television today, right? Reality television and crap TV, but yeah. it, people buy it, right? People people will sponsor it. And so it's good content by definition. Um, or if you ask an educator, what's good content? Well, they'll say if it 
you know, if it successfully communicates a lesson or educates someone, doesn't matter if it's beautiful, doesn't matter if it's, you know, wins awards, it doesn't matter if it puts butts in the seat, if it successfully delivers uh, a lesson or an educational piece, it's good content. And then subsequently, you know, if you ask an auteur or some artist what great content is, well, it needs to somehow change the human condition, right? And if it does that, then it's good content, you know, and it wins awards and all sorts of things, regardless of whether it puts butts in the seat. Yeah, but as content marketers, we're at the crossroads of all three of those things, right? Of course. We we need the popularity that you express around um, the selling tickets, but we need to be changing the culture because we need to be changing the way people think so they think more our way as if we're representing a vendor. And um, and, and so it's it's all of those things you just said, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think the question is, do you? You know, I mean, you are, I, I agree with you where, where, you know, when you say we need to, we're at the crossroads of all of those things and we need to do all of them. I think that's, you know, a very, you know, adroit observation, but I, I also can see the argument from someone who goes, uh-uh, I just need to put leads in the funnel. Yeah. And if I put leads in the funnel, then my writer is amazing. Oh, mate, but, 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 Robert, um, we, we need, we need, uh, we need much more time away from our families on this Boxing Day uh-huh. to fully explore this because I'm totally in agreement with you. And, but I think, um, but again, it's a back to that thing is the metric that you're going to slap on top of this because that's what you'll get is are you treating your content like it's getting bums on seats? So therefore, you're going to go for web hits and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the things I've been talking to the client about is if, if the content gets more relevant for your car- target audience, you may actually see fewer web hits because oh, it well, may yeah, be- no, I mean, you only, we get into, yeah, we get into that discussion. I mean, there's a whole, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, a whole exactly. there's a whole vein, deep vein of fun, interesting things we can talk about there. Right. You know, which yeah. is not only to your point, you know, might we reduce the amount of traffic, but increase the amount of ag, you know, in other words, is it better to have 10,000 visitors to your website who do nothing or a thousand who love what you do and do something, you know, of course the latter is what you want, but you know, in many ways we optimize for the former. Um, and you know, but you start talking about when we get into companies where we're weirdly competing for, that value right where the blog competes with the website competes with the pr newsroom competes with the product marketing competes with the social media compete you know we're all competing for the eyeballs of the same customer yeah 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 no i i and um Yes. Well, I think that we should, I, I, I actually made a note there. I think that this is going to be great. I mean, if I am, am uh, we need to conclude now. Um, but if we continue <laughs> with this, I hope to see you next week in the bar. You will um, definitely see me next week in the bar. I think there is a rich vein here for, for Rockstar CMO in 2021 to, to, to go through all this stuff. This has been great. Thank I love you, it. Uh, where will people find you when they spin the dial on the interwebs? Oh, you can find me on the socials at Robert underscore Rose. And of course on LinkedIn and just about everywhere. All right. And I'll include all the links in the show notes. Well, thank you very much, Robert. And um, I'll see you next week. Cheers, my friend. Thanks, mate. Bye. Thank you, Robert. Fabulous topic for the last episode of the year as we reflect back and think about you know, what it is our teams do and what we're for. I will, of course, include all the links we refer to there in the show. Now. 
So that's a wrap on episode 42 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Robert and to Ted. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like my guests, please give them a mention, click their links, follow them and take a look at their work. I really appreciate their time. I will, of course, include all their links in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I would love to know what you think. Drop us some feedback, a review, subscribe, share, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, I plan to start a new series exploring marketing industry buzzwords with Jeff Clark. I'm scheduling some time with Andy Diderosi, head of marketing at Basecamp and previous guest, and I'll be asking him about burning email. Hmm. And you heard the man. It'll be my pleasure to welcome Robert Rose back to the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. And until then, have a happy new year, roll on 2021, and I've been your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of rockstarcmo.com, and I hope you join us again next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.